Welcome everyone to episode 68 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is Sabrina Minery. So now Sabrina is with the Pinpoint Behavioral Services and also the Hold the Line Services. And uh, today we're going to discuss therapies that just are a little bit outside the box. So without further ado, let's just bring Sabrina in and let her do her thing. Here's Sabrina. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the 25 Live. With me today, my special guest, Sabrina Minnery. Good morning to you. I got her up early for this. I was already up for it, so I'm ready. (laughs) No, she made it sound like it was painful for me. Like, she said 8.30, and I said 8 o'clock, and she's like, okay. But I know it wasn't okay. Anyway, I digress. So how are you doing so far today? I'm good. I've had uh, three cups of coffee, so I'm rolling right now. (laughs) Well, good for you. All right. Well, let's have fun with this. So you are part of Pinpoint Behavioral. Mm -hmm. I've had your tag team partner, Allison, on here uh, before. I forget which episode, but way back in the archives, Allison Feening is on here. Now, when I think of you two, because you're you're kind of both part of our, our, our peer support team, um allison is the traditional uh meet in office kind of kind of prompt you know just you know traditional with her with her counseling and that is not necessarily you is it no (laughs) i've never been a in the box kind of person and i definitely don't do that with my clinical skills either yes so I want to kind of touch on some of the different things that you end up doing as well. So again, not traditional, but still get absolutely great outcomes. Yes. Okay. So these are all options for really our first responder family. So let's just jump right into EMDR. Yes. All right. So my, I'll give you my quick background. I didn't know a whole lot about it until I saw uh, my buddy Ben Vernon from San Diego talk. Uh, in January and and he talked about his situation you know kind of crazy just you know stabbed on a scene and uh, had a lot of issues and ended up getting EMDR and he uh, ended up um, having such a positive outcome with just that incident he said hey you know can I do this to all my bad runs and and he did that and he asked the audience which I was part of the audience he said you know think about all your bad calls which was a mistake. He shouldn't have said that because then I started thinking about all the bad calls. And before you know it, I'm, I'm being haunted by one. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I guess I need to do this now. And I ended up getting this done. So I've, I've been through this, but, and I've had positive res- results, but I wanted you to kind of break down what this actually entails. Cause not everybody really knows how this works and, and how helpful it can be. So now I'll shut up and tag you back in. Um, you know, it was real interesting and I'm going to steal Dr. Abby's words because last September, Allison and I, um, had the privilege of speaking at a thing called the Chip Terry Fund event that they put on for first responders in Northern Kentucky. And Dr. Abby works for the Center of Excellence. And she said, the first thing you need to know about EMDR is it's not voodoo. So let me echo her sentiments on that but it does work. So you're going to hear about what I explained and say, what in the world is she talking about? Um, But 
EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Essentially, um, eye movement is exactly what it sounds like, that we take eye movements, I use a therotapper, essentially it's bilateral stimulation that goes back and forth between your right and left brain, and it reassimilates um, information to where it doesn't have that same visceral emotional bite, and I'll explain that a little bit more as well. Um, but EMDR really replicates REM sleep, so rapid eye movement. So when you are dreaming, you are in REM sleep. So your eyes are darting back and forth between your right and left hemispheres, right? Um, because when you're dreaming, that is actually your brain's way of trying to process information. It's saying, uh, like something's going on here. I don't have a file folder for this. Like I need to make sense of this, right? Um, so EM, EMDR takes that eye movement and it facilitates it in a very guided, directed way. Um, because usually when a traumatic event, a critical incident happens, it gets locked in your amygdala, which is the fight or flight part of your brain with the original sights, sounds, visceral reactions that go with it. Because that's essentially the part of your brain that's running the show at that point in time but it usually gets locked in there with a negative belief as well. Um, and there's a whole host of negative beliefs that fall into different categories from safety and responsibility and control. And it usually comes down to, I didn't do enough. I'm not safe. I thought I was going to die. Um, but essentially critical incidents and traumatic events, your brain doesn't have a file folder for it. And what EMDR does through bilateral stimulation and reprocessing this information is it creates a file folder for it. So you don't have the same distress level when you think back on this event that you did prior to EMDR. Essentially, you can move forward and not have this haunt you anymore. It will always be a part of your story, um, but it doesn't have to haunt you the way it does right now. No, I feel sense? like I like the file folder thing. I believe that like after... I started thinking about it. And after this run started coming back and back and back, that folder was just there on top waiting to be put away. Mm -hmm. And, and the whole process of EMDR, you know, and not, not that many sessions, probably five or six sessions that folder is now put away and it's not there every day. I'm not dwelling on it. So uh, that is a perfect analogy to, to how to put this whole process, hold this whole thing. Yeah, I love that analogy. And that analogy actually came from our intern. So I have to give her credit as well. Um, and I love it because essentially it's the perfect metaphor for it, right? Um, and that's why I am super passionate about, um, I'm trying to get into departments and units to do education on this. Um, actually, the sooner you do EMDR after a critical incident or a traumatic event, the better. Um, you want to be careful in that first week because I definitely deem that as kind of the, the suck week, like you're still trying to assimilate back to a baseline at that point. But ideally, EMDR should be done within that first month if you're experiencing reactions to it to really decrease the likelihood of further acute stress or post-traumatic stress. So if you have... A first responder then come to you and they have they say I've got a, a bad run I've I've had this incident and uh, I can't stop thinking about it mm -hmm. and can you you know 
you know, am I a candidate from ED for EMDR? And you say, yeah. What is that process generally like for that, that first responder? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely happened. I do a brief screen to make sure because with the EMDR, there's two things you want to make sure that is not happening presently, um, that there's a high level of suicidality or there's disassociation which is I, or derealization. So I'll explain that real quick. And if I see that those things aren't happening, I go straight into EMDR um, education and preparatory work. And I'll explain that as well. So disassociation or derealization means um, you check out. Essentially, some people describe it as they feel like they're floating above their body, like just watching themselves. Like they don't feel present at all. Like emotionally, physically, they do not feel present. Um, so those are just two things in the suicidality. Like if someone is actively suicidal, um, it's not safe to activate their amygdala any more than it actually, than it already is. So you want to make sure those two things aren't happening. If, if they are, then I go straight into EMDR, what it is, education on it, um, and then some prep work and some prep work is just essentially like, just tell me what happened. Right. Um, seeing how they're experiencing it currently emotionally, physically, cognitively, um, how it's affecting their overall mood and functioning. But one thing I do is a safe, calm place, and almost every single therapist is going to do this in one way or another, but I do it with the bi bilateral stimulation with the, the therotapper, which is this, an EMDR technique. And essentially why we do that is it's a form of mindfulness. Getting ready to cough, hold on. <coughs> Um, and what we know about mindfulness is mindfulness is actually a short circuit from your amygdala to your prefrontal cortex. Um, and we need your prefrontal cortex, which is your brain CEO, it runs the show, to be on while we're reprocessing this information. Um, so I do prep work of the safe complex and then the container script, essentially, and I'll explain that as well, that way if you guys want in on it. Um, that it puts this, the emotion associated with this event or this memory in a safe contained place. That way it's not following you around all the time. Um, and I really like doing this in my office as well, because that way you can put this emotion associated with this event or memory in the container and leave it there with me. That way, you know, like when you come to see me, this is the safe place that I unlock this container and get this memory back out to get it reprocessed. And this is a safe person to do that with. So what I like to say with a container script, specifically working with first responders, <laughs> is this is not compartmentalization. It is in a way, um, but essentially we're putting it in a safe container to get it out later so it goes away. We're not putting it in a container to leave it there so it stacks up with other stuff, right? Um, but, and then with that, if the person is ready, we go straight into EMDR processing. I've had it take as short as two sessions. Um, now I don't want to lay that baseline that it's that way for everyone because everyone has different background information that they're bringing into EMDR. Um, it can be as short as two. Sometimes it goes beyond that for single incidents, anywhere between eight and 10, but it's really different for everyone. Perfect. No, thank you for kind of sharing that and, and breaking it down. So if individuals wanted to get into it, they kind of know 
well, what they're getting into. So, but that's not, EMVR is not the only thing that you do. Again, if you're outside the box stuff, <laughs> let's talk about the, uh, I'm going to screw up how I say it, the, the equine training. <laughs> yeah. That's, was I right or wrong? You were close. You had good intentions. <laughs> try. It's early and I don't have coffee. So let's talk about, let's talk about the, how about the horsey therapy? Horsey therapy, right? Yes. <laughs> Should have just called it that. Um, so yeah, I actually, I worked with horses before becoming a mental health professional and horses are actually why I became a mental health professional because my whole thing is, um, I think horses bring out a different side of us, but it's the, the side that needs to come out. But what I mean by that is, you know, I had this vision of, I only wanted to work with horses, working with military members, and then that grew into first responders and that grew into a lot of other things. But I do equine assisted counseling. I've been working with horses for about 12 years now in different realms of therapeutic horsemanship. And essentially why we work with horses is that they never lie. They are biofeedback mechanisms. Essentially whatever we are bringing to their environment because they are always concerned with safety. Safety is number one. Like they're prey animals, they're 12 to, I have a big guy, so he's 1500 pounds prey animals and they're worried about their safety, number one. So if you come into their environment with something that's unsafe, sometimes that's our emotions, how we're carrying them, they're gonna pick up on that and reflect it back to you. So I joke and say that horses help me cheat, but um, it's probably not the best word for it. But essentially we get to the crux of the matter of what is showing up a lot quicker with horses because it's right there in front of us through these different exercises and activities that we do because horses are incapable of lying. They, I mean, they're, they just are just by their nature. They cannot lie. Whatever they're thinking, whatever they're feeling, they're going to communicate it back to you. And it's going to be very honest and very authentic. What are, what are some of the practices that end up bringing out some of these different emotions or different feelings from the human? Um, sometimes it's very basic stuff. Like we just go out into the herd and observe their environment, right? Because you always want to observe. Um, that's like the foundational safest way to start to observe horses. Um, but honestly, how do you approach a horse? How do you lead a horse? Like when you're grooming is a big one, like when you're brushing the horse, right? Um, that's actually where I see a lot of stuff come out because I'm lucky in the fact that I have two horses with two very different personalities. And one is very, very, very sensitive to changes in his, re in his environment. So if you are grooming, brushing this horse and you have an ounce of, I don't even wanna say irritation, but there's some stress, there's some anxiety, there's some worry going on. Like he picks up on it and he reflects it back to you. Like he starts shifting his weight. He starts looking around because something in his, in his environment doesn't feel okay, right? Because what horses need from us is congruency. Um, so essentially what's going on on the outside is going on on the inside as well, that it, it lines up. And what I like to tell people is um, you can bullcrap me, but you can't bullcrap a horse. So if you come in here and say, yeah, I'm having a good day. I'm having a good day, but... 
desperately there's a storm brewing or there's a surge of emotion, like that horse is going to pick up on it and he's going to reflect it back to me in a number of different behaviors. Um, so they're really good at in a moment teaching us like, okay, I didn't really realize I was anxious or worried or stressed coming in here, right? But looking at this horse and how he's reacting, he's telling me otherwise. Um, sometimes we go through obstacle courses, like um, the more you get used to the horse through leading, grooming, different exercises like that, we set up obstacle courses, um, leading, you're, you're not on horseback doing that. Um, that is a question I get is sometimes like, do we ride? And I would say 90% of equine assisted counseling is ground-based, which means you're not riding. However, 10% of the time, actually we do ride and we do ride bareback. And that is because um, the rhythm of the horse's gait is what's rhythmic and it's repetition repetitious, excuse me, and anything that is rhythmic and repetitious is actually soothing and healing to the traumatized brain. So it's a form of mindfulness. Um, so a lot of it is ground-based activities, grooming, leading, approaching, going through obstacle courses. We might get to writing, um, but a lot of those interactions that just hands-on, you're seeing what's going on with you. Nice, good deal. I just had uh, my, my last guest that was on talked, you know, so well about this that he just, he fell in love with, with doing that type of training. So, or, um, again, but that's not all you do. No. So no, she's like, no, um, I don't know how you have enough hours in a day to be quite honest, but how about going into the hold the line, um, services that you do with Allison as well, the, the outdoor stuff, which is fun to do, by the way, in Ohio with snow on the ground, I'm sure, like it is right now. This is, um, you know, every counselor should have self-awareness and I am self-aware enough to know that I am just cranky December through February, like, because I don't get to get outdoors and do the stuff that I, I really enjoy doing. Um, but yeah, so Hold the Line Services was founded this past spring, and that came from a combination of things, honestly. So Hold the Line Services is a nonprofit based in Southern Ohio. We're actually, I think, going to be doing a satellite location in Dry Ridge, Kentucky, which is halfway in between Cincinnati and Lexington. Um, but essentially, outdoor-based workshops, education, trainings, and retreats. So what that means is what I've kind of seen over the years is there are certain things that work and there are certain things that don't. But honestly, you know, clinicians like Allison and I working only with first responders and military members, we have a lot of what we qualify as good information, potentially life-saving information um, that we want to take to the masses in a language that they can understand the masses of first responders and military members that you don't have to enter counseling to learn what we have to give you. So how can we assimilate that into a training, a workshop, a retreat for not only military and first responder members, um, but their families as well, because they definitely have a unique role in all of this. Um, but this was born out of doing, you know, now 12 years of equine assisted therapies five years of traditional, traditional in quotes, counseling. Um, but then I did a few years of outdoor ed 
as well. So kayaking, archery, hiking, all of that. And I just know you get to see a different side of people, a lot more relaxed side of people when you get them outdoors and you give them activities to do hands-on. So I combined all my years of doing this stuff into one that we're going to take the mental health, mental and most gosh, mental and emotional health education that we have and combine it into outdoor based experiences. So if that's archery, if that's rucking, we have a, um, Allison calls it a trauma ruck. I, I like to call it a stress ruck because we have six different gateways of trauma and stress. Um, archery, kayaking, working with the horses, both on the ground and sometimes riding. Um, but combining all of these things to where if a first responder were to come out here and learn about mental and emotional health, they wouldn't think it was bullcrap when they left. Like, hey, that was good. Like they actually, they know what they're talking about. I got something from that and I can apply it to my life outside of here. Um, one thing we're really, we understand PowerPoint has a, has a role in everything right now. But when you come out to our facility, it's definitely not gonna be PowerPoint presentations. Like you're gonna be hands-on getting real with other people and outdoor-based experiences. No, that, that sounds awesome. And the next one is, do you actually have dates or you just, you're kind of in a planning stage right now? Um, did you say, do we have days? Is that what you say? Do you have dates for the next one coming up? Um, so the next one will be this spring, probably around April or May. We haven't set an official date, but one thing we really want to do is this was kind of our um, soft opening this past year, this past spring and summer for Hold the Line services. Hopefully this upcoming spring, the pandemic will be on its way out <laughs> um, and we can really safely um, utilize what we're doing that we wanna make a hard regional push for what we're doing. However, we are a nonprofit and there, we recognize that a lot of the departments and units we work with and for, there's not, a lot, there's not a lot of extra dollars for this, right? That if you wanna come out, it might sound really great, but there might not be money in the budget for it. So um, we're making a hard regional push for this upcoming spring for a lot of retreats and education and workshops on anything from acute and post-traumatic stress to retreats for family members and spouses, talking about moral injury as well, because that's a big one. Um, so really targeting workshops all the way from spring until fall, twice a month, that you can come out and engage in these outdoor-based activities and these really real conversations that need to happen. Um, our big thing is south of Columbus, in north of Lexington, when you think of mental and emotional health education and training for first responders and military members, we want you to think of us. So yeah, spring is our really hard regional push to get everything off the ground. Good deal. Now, is there anything else you do that's kind of, again, outside of the box um, that we didn't already cover so far? think um because gosh a lot of what I do is outside the box I will say um the property where hold the line is is also my satellite location for the the counseling office as well um that we often start and end with 
what traditional therapists would call like walk and talk counseling, but there is this really nice perimeter trail that goes around the property. Um, there's a creek that runs through it. I'm like, hey, let's just walk around and talk for a little bit. Like we don't have to sit in the office. I think my office is pretty cool, but um, that you have access to that as well. Um, we're pretty close to a state park. I think it's less than 10 minutes from the whole the line services location that um, I'm not doing it kayaking in the counseling realm right now in the training and the education realm we are. Um, but we're close to a state park, we can hike, we can kayak, we can do a lot of different things. So I think that's it mostly. I'm trying to remember if I... Well, that's a, that's a lot. I mean, it, it really is compared to, you know, the traditional stuff, which again, Allison, don't take this wrong. There's nothing wrong with what you do. You're great at what you do. You've been awesome. I will say, um, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Part of this is, I recognize this both personally and professionally is I myself have ADD. (laughs) And um, I think there's a significant amount of first responders and military members that have it and they don't realize they have it. And with ADD, what you need is, um, it's that sensory stimulation and it's that hands-on, right? Like me just sitting and talking to you for an hour might be beneficial, but more than likely we need hands-on stuff to really process our thoughts and our emotions. Um, So that's what it was born out of. There's a lot of things it was born out of, but that's definitely one of them. Good deal. All right, well, we've got time. Let's actually do some of the 25 questions with you. Oh, okay. Let's, let's, let's peel back the curtain and actually do Sabrina, the personal stuff and not just the professional stuff. Okay. Oh, no, it's, it's normal. So check us out. Numbered one through 25, just pick a number. I'll ask a question. Uh, 17. Who's your favorite actor or actress? Ooh, actor or actress? Um, Matt Damon, specifically from Goodwill Hunting. That's a good one. I like that. Um, I'll ask one that's not on here because it's that time of season. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes, it's Thank the you. only Christmas movie. <laughs> you don't have to say anything further. I tried to talk. I tried to show that to Lauren last night. She's like, "It's not a Christmas movie." It is, Lauren. It is. We're gonna to have to get counseling over this decision. All right, pick another number. Uh, eleven. That's another movie question. Who would play you in a movie regarding your life? Oh gosh, that's a good question. So when I was younger, I'm getting a little older now, I was told that I looked a lot like Hillary Swank from, um, what was she in? The one I'm remembering is P.S. I Love You, but I know she's been in other movies. What's the boxing one? Yes. Um, so I guess it would be her just based on the physical resemblance. So. Okay. I can see that too. <laughs> uh, let's pick one more. And then get you out of here because I know you got a meeting to go to. Yeah. Um, let's do number 24. All right. Favorite professional sports team. Oh, oh. 
Um, so I really have only two professional sports that I actually give a halfway crap about. <laughs> um, baseball and hockey, right? Because there were seasons overlap perfectly. Um, yeah. I'm a Reds girl, diehard Reds girl. Um, Jose Rio was my first favorite Reds player. Um, and he has number 27, which is my favorite number. But um, hockey, I would have to go with the Columbus Blue Jackets. So the Reds and the Blue Jackets. Perfect. Those are great choices. Those are, in fact, my choices. Right? <laughs> so, because, yeah, you can't count on the Bengals for anything, right? Oh, don't even get me started on football. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, perfect. Where can everybody kind of find your information, the whole pinpoint page, and, and all these different services that you offer? Yeah, so for our nonprofit, which is Hold the Line Services, talking about the, the training, the education, the workshops, and the retreats, that is holdthelineservices.com. And for the clinical, like if you are interested in counseling, maybe EMDR or equine assisted counseling, that would be pinpointbhs.com. Perfect. All right. Well, she is Sabrina, and I am Jim, and she's out of time. I got time, but she's out of time, so we got to leave. So I'll talk to all your listeners next week. Thank you again, Sabrina. All right. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye.